Welcome back to episode number 118 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have part two of the Ask Me Anything session on NFPA 652, chapter eight on management systems with Tim Hennix that we had inside the Dust Safety Academy. In last week's episode, we covered the first half of the Ask Me Anything session, covered things around management change, how to get started with the management change program, how to document a management change program, what other elements exist within NFPA 652, Chapter 8 on management systems, um, and when you might need to bring somebody in to help you with your management systems to improve those and get those started. In this second half of the Ask Me Anything session, we're covering how to convince your executive management that MOC is needed or other management systems, how to implement management systems when the money's not there. We're talking about quite a bit about fugitive dust. I'm going to give you some of my personal ideas on fugitive dust hazards versus other hazards, different concerns that run around that. And we actually kind of go a little bit off topic and talk about some bigger picture ideas, things like the Chemo Safety Board's recommendations to OSHA to create a general industry standard for combustible dust. Where is that at? PSM guide words and how those might apply for dust processes, different things like that that weren't planned for this session, but that came up as questions from the audience while we are going through this AMA. So that's really the whole purpose of these Ask Me Anything sessions inside the Dust Safety Academy is for folks to bring the questions that they have. We give you a sort of general topic to focus on. We really go down whichever track, whichever process that you have questions about specifically that you need answers for for your day-to-day work. So if you're interested in being involved in these Ask Me Anything sessions or the training sessions in the future that we have inside Dust Safety Academy, you can go to dustsafetyacademy.com and sign up there. It's free. There's a standard membership that costs $0, and you can be involved with those sessions moving forward as well. So without further ado, we'll get right into where we left off in this session with Tim Hennix on NFA 652, Chapter 8 on Management Systems. I get two questions quite a bit that we have sort of questions around here. One's on money and one's on getting buy-in. So I think we'll do the buy-in part first. If you're, if you're a health and safety manager and you're wondering, you know, you're, you've, you've listened to this, you listen to Dust Safety Academy, you maybe listen to Dust Safety Science Podcast, you're like, this is the thing we need to do. We're handling combustible dust. We need to have an MOC program, employee training program, whatever it is. What kind of steps should you be taking to convince your executive team or your line management to get them over that hump, to get their activation energy passed so that you can start to implement these type of procedures. Have you seen something that's worked well for that um, in, in industry? Yeah, actually, funny enough, we've had a lot of experience where clients come to us. Uh, they, they ask us to get the, the dust hazard analysis performed. And part of that, they're asking us to uh, be very specific, very direct about what some of the problems are so that they can take that and they can they can use it to overcome uh, that that initial hurdle, right? So uh, I'll give an example of a, a DHA I performed just a couple of weeks ago. You know, this facility is is very large. You know, it's half a mile long, all under one roof. All processes are indoors, and they've got a lot of really good systems in place. But uh, it's clear based on what we saw that it wasn't quite enough, and uh, so. You know, one of the things that I saw them doing, which is a phenomenal best practice that I'd highly encourage many people to do, is they had a team actually of, uh, they called them beam cleaners. And beam cleaners were, you know, they were equipped with a combustible dust rated safety vacuum, uh, long extension hose, and a scissor lift. And their entire job was to go area to area, cleaning the beams in along the roof. 
And by doing that, they were able to kind of remove some of that uh, fugitive dust accumulation that would contribute to a secondary explosion. And, you know, I saw this and my initial thought was, wow, you guys, are, you guys are really on top of it. But as I moved area to area, I noticed that many of the beams weren't so clean. You know, we had, you know, a quarter to a half inch of dust buildup almost everywhere. And what I learned was that the, the area was so significant and the amount of dust that was being generated and, and not captured or, or uh, you know, controlled was so great that just having that one group of bean cleaners just wasn't enough, right? So uh, by uh, performing the DHA, you know, it was made abundantly clear to us that, hey, if you have, you know, please make sure that it's, it's abundantly clear that this is a good practice, but that it's not sufficient, right? Because we had the discussion on the plant floor that, hey, this is really great, but it would be even better if we could have more of it. So that's kind of where we went with it. And so I guess to circle back and answer the question directly, sometimes just doing that initial DHA and having the problems all in one place, and I say problems, but they're really deficiencies, right? They're things that can be improved. And having those all listed in one place and prioritized and you know, shown visually using photos, uh, that can be enough to get uh, one of your managers over the hump. Uh, the other thing to do is to identify those wins that you can make without spending a bunch of capital. Because I know that many, many businesses are, are strapped for cash, especially in these times where uh, business might be slow because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, if you're able to show that you're going to make valuable improvements to the combustible dust safety of the facility, and you can do it without using a ton of you know, capital, but rather the, you know, the, the resources and personnel that are already on site, and all it is is you know, redirecting them from whatever it is they're on to uh, more of a combustible dust safety approach. That might also be a way to do it. Yeah, thank you for that, because I know that's a question we get quite a bit. I mean, I've had it from the, the soft, you know, uh, I don't want to say this. Um, I've had the, yeah, the soft version of, uh, I just can't figure out how to get this done in my business to the hard version of, I'm a uh, health and safety graduate. I've just got put in a new plant. I'm very scared um, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's different ends of the spectrum on that. And, and obviously there's, you know, you need to have some approaches to be able to, to bring those concerns to top line management. So I think it's worth discussing. I'd love to kind of piggyback on the comments you just made. You know, one of the ends of that spectrum that you just talked about is, you know, I am, I am the safety manager here at one of 10 facilities in this larger organization. We've known combustible dust is a, a problem in our facility for quite some time. Uh, we know that what, we know what we need to do to change. We had, uh, you know, this, you know, an engineer from one of the explosion protection companies come out. They've given us a list of what we need to do in, to get in compliance. We've got a DHA that was performed seven years ago. We've got this list of things that need to be done, but we're being told uh, that the money's just not there. And what I've found is that in organizations that operate that way, you know, they tend to shed uh, HSE managers very quickly. You know, local guys, whether it's, you know, whether it's HSE or a plant manager or you know, engineers that, that are working on the line, Working for a company that won't give you the resources to, to do what you need to do from a safety standpoint can be one of the most demoralizing things. Um, unfortunately, I have the experience of being a plant engineer in a plant that, that just didn't give the resources that were needed. And, you know, funny enough, that's the reason that I'm in 
in this profession today. Otherwise, I'd still be an engineer at a plant here in South Florida. So unfortunately, sometimes it will come to become the case that uh, you know, combustible dust safety is just not, not a priority for the organization. And you know, I think that, that it's really a sad truth in some cases, uh, but it does occur. Yeah, and I'll, um, we have, I see in the attendance list, and I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning these in, in, on, but uh, Lauren Davis from um, Manufacturing Safety Alliance of British Columbia on the call here. And I want to share, because I've asked him this question before, of if you, you can't demonstrate the costs, and he's really, the way he's explained it to me, and, and maybe we'll have to get him on for an Ask Me Anything session in the future, um, is the, the best way is to track things. So, you know, track if you're having a fire every week or every month and try to estimate what the cost of that is and come up with a, you know, ju- not just a safety case, but a business case on why these things should be implemented. Um, and if you keep bringing rejected, then you may see, like you're saying, that company has a lot of turnover. Uh, but at the end of the day, in order to convince, because we had Dr. Behid Evadot explain this really well too. He said, well, the other side is you can't expect the executive team to, to not think about the, the financial cost first because that's what they're, you know, that's what the CFO's job is to do. So you need to be able to frame it in the different ways for the different audiences that you're serving that information to um, and collecting the information, the data, the true real cost of, of incidents near misses is important. We do have a question here on, so I, this one was asked a little while ago. So I'll go ahead um, and re-ask it if I don't quite get it right. But it's on, because we're implementing dust safety into an existing business um, and we can sometimes lack in the business expertise, is there a great reference to help classify events or near misses proportionally? Um, so I'm not, I, I think what it, we're saying, there's a, is there a, a reference that uh, you know of, Tim, that will kind of demonstrate, you know, what the most important, uh, I'm going to do things. So there's the most important thing to look at to the, the least important. And I think I know what you're going to say, and I'm actually going to say something counter to it probably afterwards, which is fine. But then there's also near misses and what is a near miss and classifying that. The second piece there, near misses, I'd recommend um, another great resource out of uh, Western Canada. A number of groups there are looking at CIFP, Serious Injury and Fatality Potential of a incident and using that to measure whether that's a near miss. So did they have the chance to hurt somebody? What elements of the explosion pentagon were there that stopped somebody from being injured or stopped an explosion from happening? That's a good way to rank your incidents in terms of near misses and, and that. But that's a, that's a whole other that'd require a whole other training session again too. That's something you could look up. And then Tim, I've kind of <laughs> set you up, I guess, for the, the other one of, you know, what are the, the big ticket items people should be looking at for combustible dust and big disclaimer here. This is not engineering advice. And you know, this, these aren't the first three things, but just in a general sense, what should people be looking at for, for keeping their facilities safe out there? So um, going back to the beginning part of this question, is there, is there a good resource to use to take industry-specific, is there a way that we can determine what the effects will be on a particular industry, right? Because if we have a, a flash fire in a metals-producing operation versus a pharmaceutical plant versus a sawmill versus a bakery, you know, all of those are going to have different consequences, and that industry-specific knowledge really comes from those who've been involved in the industry. I think that, Chris, you've done a pretty good job of, of focusing in on some specific industry sectors. Uh, additive manufacturing is one that comes to mind where we did an Ask Me Anything session on it, where 
those hazards are, are very different than what you find in, say, a, you know, an MDF plant where you're making uh, engineered wood products. So I don't know that there is an easy answer to that one. Uh, a lot of that comes from just having experience uh, within that industry and being able to you know, draw on that of, hey, you know, we've got this hazard that's occurring. You know, how, you know, what has been the loss history related to it? Getting on to the other part of that question that I think, uh, Chris, you're, you're kind of you know, coaxing me into is you know, what is the most important thing that we can do uh, from a combustible dust standpoint? And you know, one of the things that I often talk about in uh, my training sessions or uh, when talking to a client, it has to do with housekeeping. And the reason I firmly believe that housekeeping is one of the most important things that we can do for combustible dust safety is that name Name a uh, high-profile explosion that has occurred as a result of combustible dust that did not somehow include a deficiency of housekeeping. Uh, it's very difficult to come up with such an example because uh, the, the times in which we have multiple fatality events or uh, complete loss of a, a building or a, a manufacturing line, it occurs because the fugitive dust that has settled out, it, it becomes uh, entrained and ignited, and you get secondary explosion, which is kind of the, the highest consequence hazard that we have in, uh, uh, in the combustible dust realm. So I'm a stickler with my clients about, hey, listen, not only do you have to pull together a reasonable target, right? You know, anybody can go out and say, you can't have more than one thirty seconds of an inch of dust in any portion of your plant. How do you actually achieve that? And so, you know, when I'm working with clients, I make sure to, uh, to get their buy-in on, all right, here's where you're at now, and here's where you need to get to. You know, don't try to do it over, overnight. The only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So you know, get there by making incremental improvements. You, know, you may need, you know, housekeeping alone cannot address all of your combustible dust hazards. And even more so, it may only be a band-aid to some of the larger problems that you have. You, know, you may need to fix leaky seals or uh, improve your dust collection design or add dust collection where you don't have it. You know, all of those things go into how this dust is getting there in the first place. But um, I, I'm actually interested, Chris, you mentioned that you're, you kind of knew where I was going to go and you wanted to, to have some, some rebuttal to it. Uh, I'm interested to see what you're getting at there. Sure. So the question that we're going to follow up with next, um, so people are ready for it, is okay, we know housekeeping is important. How do we do it? So that's what's coming down the tracks. But I do want to put a, a, a sidebar and asterisk in here because sometimes we see that that a company or facility or an individual may think that fugitive dust accumulation is the only thing they need to do. And it's it's just not true. And unfortunately, with a combustible instant database, I can rattle off not the major, the showstoppers, but I can rattle off 20 or 30 minor life-altering injury type scenarios and, and single and, and, you know, one or two fatality scenarios that don't involve fugitive dust at all. If you, and I used to do this all the time. So I'd see prestation, prestation on combustible dust, say fugitive dust is the most important thing you got to clean up. And that's it. all the, 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 the number one cause of loss of life from combustible dust is fugitive dust. That is true. What's number two? Nobody, nobody knows. So number two, from my opinion, is response to dust fires, response to bulk fires with dust around. Um, that's why firefighters are the most injured group from combustible dust. 
is it's it's that response that kicks up the dust that caused a flash fire, caused an explosion. So, and and we see that employees time and time again a fire in a in a hopper. You go spray a fire extinguisher in it, it knocks dust off the uh, the top part of the conveyor. That causes a deflagration. You're doing hot work. You're, you're welding arc drops into a a hopper. You're pouring bag and you do it faster than you normally would. And you have static electricity build up. You've done this a hundred times before and this time it ignites the dust. So there are those scenarios. Or I think I talked about this earlier in the, uh, this is my multiple record. This was in a podcast I did an hour ago. Um, we did an interview with Dr. Suzanne Smith on the podcast. She talked about a case study of a explosion that only happened with no fugitive dust and blew out the complete side of a building. And what happened there was the Explosion started, deflagration started in a attrition mill on the ground floor, propagated seven stories up to the cyclone, then um, over to the uh, other edge of the building and down three stories to the dust collector. Dust collector had venting, but not designed to withstand a, a massively pre-pressurized turbulent flame. Um, the explosion propagated back into the building through the access hatch. The dust collector blew the side off the seven-story building with no fugitive dust. So you you can have situations and we do see situations where people are injured, not because of fugitive dust. That's not me saying fugitive dust is an important part of to say we can't end the story there. So I, I knew the fugitive dust might come up as the, the number one indicator, but I did want to put some time in there. And I see there are some comments um, piling in the chat box there. Chris, Anything on that? I know Chris, that's, I, a, that's a huge topic, but. I think that you, the, the example that you just gave of Suzanne Smith and that, that incident or that case study, you know, I, I was first made aware of, of that case study during the Ishmi conference in Kansas City a few years back. And, um, you know, I think that it is the, the perfect case study to illustrate the, the reason that explosion isolation is so important. And now we're getting away from management systems into some of our explosion protection engineering controls. But I completely agree that that is, a, you know, a, a huge part of, of what needs to be addressed because, you know, if you were to only address fugitive dust, you, know, you still have the opportunity for, for flash fire, for explosion within some of the process equipment that is being handled. And especially in manual operations where you've got operators very close to these vessels, that presents a life safety hazard. And, you know, whether you're worried about business interruption or life safety, uh, the primary event uh, is very much a a risk to both of those hazards, right? What we want to avoid through the use of housekeeping is that secondary event that can kind of, you know, be a, a 5X, a 10X, a 20X multiplier uh, for, you know, the damage in terms of dollars or uh, the damage in terms of uh, life safety. Thank you for that. And I think we'll, we'll try to come back to the, uh, back to the intent of this Ask Me Anything session, but certainly ask questions about that stuff as well. I think with that in mind, okay, you've, you've convinced us and you convinced me that fugitive dust is important. I was convinced before the episode. What are the things as per NFPA 652 and the management systems that we need to be looking at for, for housekeeping and fugitive dust? Well, um, number one has nothing to do with housekeeping. And I mentioned it previously because it's so important, is trying to uh, limit the amount of fugitive dust that's available uh, in the first place. You know, if we can uh, work within closed systems with good seals and ensure that dust collection points have adequate pickup velocity and that we've got all of these designs in place, uh, maybe even, uh, you know, sloped surfaces above our, our structural elements are, you know, these are all ways in which 
uh, fugitive dust can be avoided in the first place. But as anybody who's worked in powder handling manufacturing knows, it's impossible to avoid the occasional spill or material getting out and accumulating on surfaces. So there's several methods that are acceptable as housekeeping methods uh, as described in Chapter 8. And uh, there's some that I see often used uh, incorrectly. So let's maybe dig into those just a little bit. Uh, the first of which is uh, the use of uh, water for water washdown. I find this very common in the food industry, and it works quite well because we can uh, utilize the water to remove dust from surfaces without causing a cloud. Uh, that cloud is what could lead to a flash fire or explosion. Uh, and then it, you know, it also neutralizes the explosibility of that dust in many cases. Now, it should be noted that there are materials that are water reactive or don't go well with water, or there are processes where water cannot be used. So that's a limitation in a lot of places where you know, using water washdown is not an option. Uh, but if it can be, it's an extremely effective way uh, of performing housekeeping. The next that's on the list is uh, vacuuming. And the reason that vacuuming is uh, so preferred uh, within the housekeeping realm is because it's able to remove and capture uh, that fugitive dust that has been you know, uh, built up on horizontal surfaces, tops of equipment, cable trays, pipes, you name it. But when we're going after those, we want to remove it from the area and contain it within uh, that you know, combustible, rate, combustible dust rated portal vacuum central vacuum system. Maybe, we're, maybe we've got an industrial vacuum truck that's been brought in. But in, in each of those cases, you know, notice that I stated uh, combustible dust rated vacuum, because that's one of the things uh, that's a pet peeve of mine. I walk into, uh, I find this especially within like, you know, small wood shops where, um, you know, we've got a, you know, clearly a combustible dust hazard uh, with the wood being generated uh, from, you know, uh, woodworking operations. And then we've got, uh, you know, something I could go buy at Lowe's for 50 bucks as the, the vacuum that's being used. And what might not be known is that all the components within that ordinary shop vac, so we call it, uh, they're all in the same atmosphere, right? So the motor, the fan, they're all in the same combustible dust atmosphere that, uh, that is an explosible concentration in most cases. So if we get an arc or an overheating event, all of a sudden, we've got an, uh, a situation where the operator operating that ordinary shop vac could be injured. So I just wanted to throw that in there because it's a really common thing I see in industry where uh, you know, you've got well-meaning operators, well-meaning maintenance guys who are trying to do the right thing, but you know, maybe they didn't have the information to know that uh, that shop vac was not uh, you know, approved or or safe for the application they're using. So, you know, now that we've looked at, at water washdown and uh, vacuuming, there's also sweeping and shoveling and scooping. I see this a ton in um, mineral processing, like any kind of coal processing operations. Uh, I see it a ton in things like uh, wood manufacturing operations, just because there's so much of this material that's explosible. So we use, you know, brooms and shovels and dust pans and we try to collect it all in one place and we put it in a dumpster and we get it out of there. And this is a really good way uh, to do it, but there should be, it should be noted that, you know, there's safety precautions that we need to take. You should do it in a way that minimizes the generation of combustible dust. Uh, you know, those clouds that can be generated 
are uh, you know a hazard in and of themselves, especially if it's in a non-rated uh, electrical location. And if you're coming off the top of some kind of beam pipe equipment, um, you know, anytime that we form one of those cloud, clouds, we've given ourselves the opportunity for dust uh, deflagration to occur if the proper ignition source is supplied. And then finally, one that is really, really common in industry, but I see kind of becoming less common, and there's more and more emphasis on it, is compressed air blowdown. Um, compressed air blowdown is uh, discouraged by many people in combustible dust applications, but I actually find that it's really helpful for areas that you can't get a hose from a, a vacuum wand or uh, you can't quite get into the, the little crevices of equipment. But what's important about using a compressed air blowdown is that it should be done with a procedure, and that procedure should ensure that a couple of things happen. Number one, the bulk of the material is removed prior to the compressed air blowdown using other methods like vacuuming or, or sweeping and shoveling, and that ignition sources are removed. So those could be electrical ignition sources. Those could be um, you know, hot surfaces like you know, dryers or ovens. Uh, those could be you know, open flames even. So uh, it, it's important that if compressed air blowdown is used, that it's done in accordance with a procedure that's following the requirements of NFPA 652. And, and those requirements are quite stringent for a reason because <laughs> you're creating all the elements of, uh, of a dust deflagration. Um, so if you don't turn off machinery, if you have open flame, if you have hot work going on, as someone who's done testing, and, and Tim's in the same realm here, um, it's it's kind of hard to ignite a dust cloud under experimental conditions, unfortunately. But those are the best conditions that it can happen in. So if you're doing that, you know, it's not going to happen every time. But the 10th time that you you do that, you might see a, a an explosion. And if you're in the condition where you have it well dispersed, you have a, a good amount, it doesn't take a whole lot to have an overpressure that's going to knock out your wall of your building or to have structural damage. That's why the, the minimum layer criteria is so small is that it doesn't actually take that much dust. So if you're actually dispersing that, you can create a dangerous scenario. And that's why it's important to follow all those steps and make sure you, you, you know, remove the bulk amount of material, you removed all the ignition sources and it, it can be quite stringent to do that. Uh, we have a, about 10 minutes left. So keep your questions coming. We'll send any through that we miss to Tim and he can follow up or we'll put them in the, the dust safety academy and the community forum there. A couple I missed along the way that we can kind of rapidly go through. Um, one challenge that was mentioned with MOC was uh, the definition of a change. Uh, so sourcing new materials from a different supplier, that could be a change. Basically anything is changed unless you're replacing part serial number XYZ with part serial number XYZ, or at least should be evaluated for the potential to be a change. I, I don't know, Tim, if you have a, a better guidance on this, but there's not many scenarios where you should just say, no, we don't even need to evaluate whether or not that is a change, unless you're, you know, unless you're replacing the same serial number equipment by the same serial number equipment. Yeah, replacement in kind is, is the, the standard, right? So if we're, if we're changing out a rotary valve that is, you know, model XYZ, as you said, with model XYZ, like there's no real reason that a, that a management change uh, process needs to occur there. But if we've decided that, uh, you know, you mentioned going to a new material, I had previously mentioned going from, you know, one type of grinder to another type of grinder. You know, there, there are a number, you know, even just changes to the, the order in which you're doing different processes. So, 
you know, maybe you go from a grinding to a drying rather than drying to grinding. You know, I, I think that there, you know, that, that is a, a pretty simple example of how an engineer can say, hey, we can get more throughput by doing the, by doing the order of operations this way rather than the way we've previously done it. And, you know, that wouldn't normally think, you wouldn't normally think that, that has something to do with combustible dust safety. But if all of a sudden you go from a wet grinding uh, or, or, you know, uh, grinding of material with like 25% moisture content to now you're grinding something that's got 5% moisture content. There's a huge difference in the potential for an ignition source to cause a deflagration somewhere downstream of that, uh, of that mill. Wow. Or and, you know, your grinder. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yes. That too. I, I think that, you know, those are, those are things that, you know, maybe you don't think of right away as being uh, explosive, you know, explosion hazards or, you know, this is in the combustible dust realm. But uh, you know, one of the things that Bob is a huge champion of is getting agreement from the organization on what it changes. And it shouldn't necessarily be something that just gets handed down from whoever's creating the MOC process. It should be those stakeholders who are all coming together to agree this is what a change is. And this is when it's going to, this is when it's going to trigger the process. And that should all be spelled out within the written documentation around MOC. That's a really good description of management change. And the key thing there, when I say that everything should be considered, it could be, you know, just don't say, no, it's not a change right away. It's like, well, maybe it's change. And then take five minutes to think, is this a, you know, is this a change? And then say, no, it's not a change after that. We had a couple, we had a comment on from Brian, I think saying that, you know, housekeeping really needs to be a, a way of life, not necessarily a, it is a management system, but it really needs to be integrated to, to how the facility is operating and running. And I, the reason I brought, want to bring this up, one is because we missed it earlier on, but two, I think a key aspect here is if you do housekeeping for five years, actually probably if you do it for five months and nothing happens, you're going to start slacking because nothing happens. It's just a human nature. So what I'm trying to get people towards is we need to see these things happen in environments that our operators are used to seeing. Um, so that's why we're building up things like the video library. So you can see what an explosion in a grinder looks like in a spice grinder. Um, or you can see what a, um, you know, a, a deflagration in a, in a wood pellet mill looks like. Or So that when you do five months worth of cleaning and nothing happens, you can look at the video during your annual training or something, or training, whatever it is, and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's why I do this every day. Try to bring it back to, yes, this is what it looks like if that happens here in this room that I'm working in right now. If you have other thoughts on how we can make that more, and I don't think, Tim, we have time to do it right now, but other thoughts on how to make that more integrated into a lifestyle more than a, a management system, I'd, from the audience, I'd love to hear it. Um, but that's one of the ways we're trying to do it is how do you see how do you envision at your facility and your job and your role, how combustible dust can affect that? Uh, we do have a comment on the shop back example, um, confusion on the dust concentration inside or outside the motor. I, th I think the short answer is both. You buy a shop back and you start using a combustible dust atmosphere, it can ignite a dust that's outside and um, potentially is not designed correctly internally to, to withstand um, avoiding a dust explosion as well. Does that sound like a reasonable summary, Tim? Yeah, it really needs to be that the the, the motor and the and the fan are located outside of the dusty environment, you know, downstream of the filter, right? Okay. Um, it's the 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 requirements of combustible dust rated vacuum cleaners within uh, the NFPA documentation is pretty clear. 
Okay. Two higher level questions that came in. One that I skipped at the start, but I want to make sure we circle around to. You may not know if there is an update on stats in this, but uh, the question is, what is the status of the chemical safety board recommendations to OSHA on creating a um, industry regulation? Have you? Do you know of any movement on on that? Um, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar uh, with what I'm talking about, at least. <laughs> yeah, so for 15 years or so, we've had um, a mandate for OSHA to create uh, combustible dust their own combustible dust standard. And uh, they've punted that down the road for quite some time now. Uh, last I heard, there's almost no efforts being made right now to uh, develop a uh, OSHA standard for combustible dust. Uh, I did hear rumors last year when I was at the uh, uh, NSC conference in San, uh, San Diego, there was kind of a Q&A with uh, some uh, OSHA representatives saying that they were moving towards uh, re-upping or, or kind of re, uh, revisiting their uh, combustible dust emphasis program. Uh, I personally haven't seen anything uh, on that recently, but uh, I will admit that I've been a, a little bit buried in, in work and maybe not been seeking it out actively. So I, I do know that the NFPA uh, is, is undergoing steps to try to create one unified document, uh, or at least those are the rumors I'm hearing. Uh, I'll kind of believe it when I see it. Yeah, I'll say, okay, the three top things going on that might be going on in our industry are Chemical Safety Board just released their Dust Hazard Learning Review. You can access that in the Dust Safety Academy under downloadable resources. Um, really great multi-year effort on understanding perceptions of combustible dust. OSHA, from my understanding, I've also heard that the National Emphasis Program may be re-released. Um, when, I don't know, but stay tuned. That could come back out again what that will contain. It, it won't be a standard or reg. I'm not sure what it would contain beyond the, the original national, national emphasis program. It may be some more on how inspectors are going out to facilities, expanding their reach, expanding their capabilities. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And you mentioned the third one there. Oh, NFPA. Um, also, it, it seems like there is a move towards having a consolidated NFPA standard that covers um, all the discrete standards that are there. So I'd say in the next one to five year timeline, those are things that you might see coming out. The last one I think we'll leave off on, because I know you're a process safety guy and I appreciate that. Uh, the, the question, I'm not sure if we have anything for this really for combustible dust, but it's worth asking. The question is, we use many good guide words in chemical process safety. Um, are there good HAZOP or HAZID guide words for dust processes? I thought this was an interesting one for you, um, if that's anything you've ever come across before. Well, you know, a lot of the things that are uh, used within chemical process safety or PSL processes, they can be well adapted to combustible dust, right? You know, I, uh, the uh, CCPS has an excellent book out there about uh, combustible dust hazard analysis uh, in which they kind of utilize, uh, they do a very good job of explaining the differences between a prescriptive approach and a risk-based approach. I know this is way off base of what we're talking about with management systems, but it probably would make a really good ask me anything topic. But um, you know, what you're describing would, would go down uh, a risk-based approach for a DHA. And you know, just to kind of answer your question directly, you know, using a what-if scenario generation session is a great way that I found to, uh, you know, kind of use that, uh, that framework to identify things that might occur within the facility and identify what needs to occur 
uh, either uh, in advance or at the time of to kind of prevent or mitigate it. So, you know, I don't know if I've answered the question directly, but, you know, a lot of those same guidelines could be used, but, uh, you know, you got to do it in a way that focuses towards combustible dust. You know, we're really not as interested with, you know, toxicity hazards or environmental damage. Not that we don't care about those things. It's just not within the scope of the loss, DHA. Loss of containment. I kind of wish we would be a little more worried about loss of containment, but uh, we're, we're not in some instances. It's not necessarily, I don't want to say it's not possible. I think it's always possible, but those sort of things we don't seem to focus on as much um, in today's uh, environment. So I want to say that's really great session, Tim. I really appreciate your time. Um, we got a really nice uh, comment about uh, made for good morning coffee down here in New Zealand. Um, so nice to see that we have the, the spread from around the world. And I'm seeing more comments and questions coming in. So I'm going to grab some of these and we'll send them to Tim afterwards. We'll try to get him to come into the, maybe the community forum and answer those questions there. So Thank you again, Tim. Um, we'll have Tim's contact information when the replay this comes out. Uh, actually, maybe, can you give us your contact information, Tim, for the people that are here live? Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me directly, send an, uh, send an email to our, our general inbox, uh, info at dustconsolutions.com. That uh, gets checked uh, regularly. And you know, if you just address it to me directly, I'll make sure I get back to you within, you know, hopefully within 24 hours. Uh, the other way would be to go to our website, dustconsolutions.com. Uh, we've got a web form there that you can fill out. Uh, those actually go directly to my email box. So uh, if you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, um, just kind of navigate that and I'll follow up with you. Perfect. That's great. And if you're watching the replay of this in the future, we'll, we'll probably have Tim's contact information down below that you can click as well. So thank you, Tim. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuned in, tuning in to the session. Um, and have a, a safe and, and good weekend and week ahead and appreciate everything you're doing out there with uh, entries handling combustible dust. So thank you, Tim, and, and have a good day, everyone. And that's it for this replay of the Ask Me Anything session that we did inside the Dust Safety Academy with Tim Hennix on management systems as per NFPA 652 Chapter 8. So this was the second episode. In today's episode, we covered how to get executive management uh, buy-in for MOC programs, what to do when the, the money's not there, things like housekeeping and, and fugitive dust control systems. And we also went to some other different topics around chemical safety board recommendations and OSHA regulations and PSM guide words. We sort of ended off with a sort of hodgepodge of questions that people had brought in to the Ask Me Anything session. If you're interested in being involved in the Dust Safety Academy, you can go to dustsafetyacademy.com. You can sign up there for the standard free membership and get involved in these Ask Me Anything sessions or the training sessions that we do inside Dust Safety Academy about every two weeks or access to the community and the resources that we have there. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust, making them safer around the world every day. <laughs>